one sat alone beside the highway begging his eyes were blind the light he could not see he clutched his old rags and shivered in the shadows then jesus came and bade his darkness flee it's time to open the word once again with evangelist lester roloff on the family altar program for all is changed when jesus comes to stay the lord knew before the dawn of creation i mean before the first star ever climbed up in its socket and sat down i mean before the moon ever sailed out down into space and looked around for the sun to give it some light I mean, before that big ball of fire called the sun with leaping thousands of miles of flames on all sides, I mean, before that was ever tossed into its place, God knew the tragedy that would take place. I mean, the Lord has never, I mean, while Jesus was here, he faced every crisis a man could face. The bloodhounds of hell chewed at him every day when he hit his public ministry, and yet he never looked for a psychiatrist. When the devil said, come in the wilderness with me, he didn't run get his disciples and said, y'all be praying now and help me out. I'm gonna need he didn't need any help. He doesn't need anything. Jesus, in his sweet, humble way, looked into the face of the dumb devil and said, why, I'll be on time. Oh, listen, no fear. No fear. Dear friend, don't you realize tonight that what Jesus had, he wants to give you? Now, I can't hold all of it, but I ought to have at least my little container full of it. I can't hold all the Atlantic Ocean, but I can hold some of it. Oh, hear me, dear friend. God is just enough for everybody here tonight. Jesus is all you need, and Christ is not a disappointment. And you've been drinking at the wrong stream if you're not satisfied. You know, we used to play the little game. That's before television came along and all that bunch of junk, you know. We used to go and we'd have parties and uh, one of our games was pleased and displeased. Oh, I tell you, we'd have a, we'd just have a time, huh? <laughs> pleased and, and you know, everybody there was displeased. Do yeah. you remember that? I mean, every once in a while you'd run into some old dumb boy and say, please. <laughs> But I mean, just about everybody was displeased. <laughs> and then the next question, well, what would it take to please you? And boy, he'd tell some more. I mean, you had to do something. Somebody did. Pleased or displeased? And what would it take to please you? I hear people saying, well, I guess maybe that they were not satisfied and this wasn't satisfying and all that kind. Listen, dear friends, the psalmist tells us what we can do to get satisfied. Now here, I'm looking for God's little biscuit, and when I find him, the message will be over. But we've got a long ways to go. There's a divine intervention. There's human instrumentality. And there's a desire for a miracle. Gideon straightened himself up and wiped the sweat off his forehead and said, you mean the Lord's with me? He said, that's what I said. He said, whereabouts are the miracles? 
Anytime God's with the man, there's going to be something miraculous start happening. Gideon said, I want to see one of his miracles. I used to hear my father, he said. Why, my father sat around campfires and talk about the miracles of God and talk about manna from heaven and water from the rock and talk about the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day, quail from the east, manna from heaven, white lit cross and the Red Sea dry shod. Whereabouts are those miracles? Brother, that's going to be necessary before we have revival. Somebody's got to get ready for a miracle. And I'll guarantee you it will be a tremendous miracle when we have revival. We're living in a sightseeing age. <laughs> I mean, we're just going by what it looks like now. Oh, everybody's glued to what it looks like. Now then, he said, where are the miracles? Whereabouts? I want to see some miracles. All right, go a little further. Verse 15. This is necessary, but it's missing. Lord, help me now when I come to this. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I'm the least of my father's house. I'm the least little thing my father's got. You know, I'll have to say this about, uh, and I know this is so, and I can remember it, and I know I'm telling the truth, and God will bless the truth. My mother and father had five children. Our two little sisters went away, one in infancy and one as my little playmate at the age of eight. And uh, it was a very sad time in our home when Thelma, and it seemed the, almost the joy of the home, the little girl, with all the nice things that my mother made for her to wear when she went away. Why, it's been so many years ago, but I can still see those little towns that my mother would make for, solid white, and the little tassel or tassel on the top of it. I could see the big old dolls that she had, and uh, yet uh, there were three boys left. Melvin, my older brother, valedictorian of his class, one of the most brilliant boys, I guess, in the community, and such a fine fellow. I mean, I, I greatly admired him. I guess he never knew how much I did admire him as a little boy. He was the first to go off to college and uh, on to universities and so forth. And uh, then Edel, the middle brother, good-natured, likable, rather humble, and uh, always even going, and could hardly ever stir him up. But when you did, it's hard to settle him down without hurting somebody. But then I came along, uh, mischievous and sinful and rebellious, and uh, I believe I could say what Gideon said tonight. Lord, my father's poor, and when God called me to preach, we were poor. I mean, really, times were hard. 1932, my, my. Times were really hard. And uh, then I, I could say truthfully, I'm the least in my house. I know that I'm the less likely to make a preacher. Surely, Lord, you'd not call. I'm sick, ignorant, 
and scared and afraid and without any ambition. And yet, the Lord convinced me one day, one night, that he'd laid his hand on this common piece of clay. And he said, I can use you because I don't have to have anything to start with. Fact is, I believe the Lord has convinced me that he does a lot better if he'd start with nothing. Because if, he, if he's got anything to start with, he's got to first get rid of that. And I believe if he had a job, that'd be his biggest job, getting rid of what he had. I believe if I'd have been a lawyer, you know, with great oratory, and uh, if I'd have had, uh, you know, tremendous speaking ability, but I didn't have anything. And the Lord said, I believe you're near enough to nothing that I can use you. That's the only way I can figure this thing out. I mean, nobody else in the whole community accused me of being anything or having any ambition. Nobody on earth believed I'd ever would make a preacher except my mom, and she wouldn't believe that she hadn't talked to the Lord so much about it. He told her. He said, I'm the least in my father's house. You find Saul and Paul and Jeremiah and others talking like that. The Lord said unto him, Surely I'll be with thee. Thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. All right. Now here's your promises. You see, first of all, we had the famine. Second, we had a divine intervention. Uh, third, we had uh, a man. We had a man. Then we had a desire for miracles. And then we have a baptism of humility. And now then, we're getting on the promises. We're ready to pull out now. God said, now listen, Gideon, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. Now you can count on me. I'm going with you. Wherever you go, I'll be there. Now folks, that just about settles it. It just does I mean, how could I lose if God's right there? I mean, if I meet the enemy and he faces me with all of his anathemas and meanness and power and all of his diabolical plots, if Jesus is standing there and I say, Jesus, there he is, get him. I mean, I can't handle him. I can't do a thing about it. And the Lord steps between me just like the pillar of what? Cloud. You remember that? What did that represent? Presence of God. And brother, when the pillar got between the children of Israel and the Egyptian army, what did it do? It blinded the Egyptians and was the lighting system for the Israelites. I mean, isn't that a puzzle? But not for us, it's not. The Egyptians are staggering around in the dark and the children of God were walking in the light. Oh, I don't know why we can't come back to that kind of intervention from heaven and let the Lord help us like that. We're on the promises now. So he said, he said to the angel, he said, uh, would you stay here uh, while I run an errand? I'll be back in a minute. And uh, this shows you the patience of God. Well, I said, sure. So this old country boy takes off. I mean, he's burning the breeze. He's going after something, so he's coming back now. Sure enough, here he comes. He comes back. And he took some cakes of ephah, of flour, of an ephah flour. The flesh he put in the basket, verse 19. He put the broth in a pot. He brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh, look out. Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now, dear friends, 
That represents the death of Gideon. That's all of Brother Gideon. I mean, he just graduated from the walks of the flesh. He's just entered over now into the miraculous uh, command of the Lord to be used of the Lord because the flesh is gone now. It's already been consumed. And you know what consumed it? It was fire. You know where it was when it was on the rock? You know that's Jesus, don't you? And you know the Word of God is the fire, and he, he'd, he'd been commanded to do what he did, and he did it, and so God gave him complete victory. Now then, that's not the end of anything. That's just the beginning of everything. Brother, you never do get into a fight until you get out of the flesh. And so he comes now, and destruction sets in. And I mean, he took a drastic stand. You know what he did? He tore up his daddy's religion. He went to that old God that was dead and tore that God to pieces. Notice, throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath and cut down the grove that is by it. You get rid of the grove and you cut down and tear down the, the God of Baal so people can see what you've done. Brother, that's a open declaration of war on religion. Somebody gave me some things tonight, some clippings that came in. You know, we're living in a time when religion is, of course, the spokesman of the day, and what he's speaking is not so. One of the big professors in a tremendous divinity school, so-called, has said that anybody that tries to make their religion work down here is in for trouble. Well, I tell you, I can reverse that. If mine doesn't work, I'm in for trouble. I tell you, I've lined up everything I've got in my faith in Jesus Christ, and I don't have anything to count on or depend on except the Lord Jesus Christ, but I've got good news for him. He's never failed me one time. Never has failed me, not even one time. All right? Let's go a little further. The flesh is gone. The miracle's been performed. The war's on. Destruction is set in. Now, the next thing is the National Council calls Gideon's daddy on the carpet. Joash said, come on. Now, we understand that your boy tore down our God, and you, we want you to fetch him right up here where we are, and we're going to see to it. And you know what? And this is a wonderful thing. If a, if a young man will, in the spirit of Christ will stand and preach, he can have great effect on his ma and Paul. And Joash, Joash, he said, listen, fellas, he said, my son did such a good job of tearing that God all to pieces and cutting down the grove. He said, if my God can't protect himself any better than that, he said, I don't believe I'm going to stay with him any longer. Now, isn't that a reasonable conclusion? I mean, let me ask you a question now, and we'll bring it right down to that. What has your God done for you? Just how much has your God protected you? I mean, how much life has your God got in him anyhow? I mean, can he perform a miracle? How long has it been since you've seen a miracle? How long since you got a prayer answered? How long has it been since you've heard from heaven? How long has it been since God intervened and heaven came down and gave you what you needed right at the right time? How long has it been? My dear friend, if I go one day without heaven's intervention, I've wasted a day. I mean, that's just exactly what I believe the Christian ought to get used to is that God comes every day, every day. 
why the last seven days, seven days ago, I faced one of the greatest needs that you could think. I could tell it tonight. It'd be hard for you to even believe it. And yet it's been met. But I moved by faith first. And I went ahead and did what the Lord told me to do on nothing but faith. I had no assurance that when Monday morning came that what we did would be honored, but I felt like it was right because I'd made an obligation. And listen, when Monday morning came, the needs were all met. That's right. God does not honor sight, but he does honor faith. Now the just shall live by faith. I was thinking about Martin Luther. The one thing that transformed Martin Luther's life was that one text, now the just shall live by faith. That'll transform anybody's life. You start living by faith, and I tell you to change everything around your house. Change your ministry when you live. By, and I tell you something else. When you get addicted to living by faith, you'll never want to get off of it because it's so thrilling, and, and it's one way of proving that God's with you all the time. I mean, if you never heard from heaven, how would you know he's still up there? I mean, if God never did anything to help you, how would you know that he still could help you? Yes, the most practical thing that ever happened to me was when they got saved. So uh, Joash uh, changed sides. Now let's go to the seventh chapter. The seventh chapter. Now, you know, in between, he put the fleece out. God is so willing to convince us if we want to be convinced. I've been telling our men, I said, now, if you're not delivered while you're here, I'll give you the reason why you don't want to be. If any man wants to go to heaven, all he's got to do is just listen to one gospel message and go on. I mean, you don't have to be preached to a hundred times. Well, I know of friends of mine that the first time they ever heard a gospel message, they got saved. The first time I knocked on somebody's door, well, he said, sure, I want to be saved. And he got up and gave a testimony. said, I'd have been saved a lot sooner if somebody comes sooner. I don't know why people have to be preached to and warned and pled. Why, listen, just one time. If, for instance, your house got on fire, how many times would the fire department have to come by there to get you out before you'd get out? Why, man, I'd say, listen, fix the net. I'm coming down. I mean, somebody catch me. I'm jumping now. I don't understand why, but it's blindness of the old evidence. Old Satan blinds him. So he said, I want you to, I'm going to put the fleece out. So he put the fleece out. And he said, I want a lot of water to be all around it. But I sure want the fleece dry. Then he said, Lord, he said, let's reverse that order. That just could have accidentally happened. You know, let's fix it now this time. I want the fleece really got some water in it and everything around it dry. And the Lord, you know what the Lord did? He put it so full of water till he, he just wrung out water. Just run every which way. Wasn't just a little dew. Dear friends, God goes the limit to convince his children that he's able to meet our needs. All right? The, the seventh chapter. He came up, Gideon came up with 33,000 in his army. And uh, the Lord said, uh, Gideon, that's too many for me to get to glory. He said, I want you to just weed out all those that are fearful and afraid. And brother, thy went most of his army. And I tell you what, if we really had any way of running the gauge on our people, I'll guarantee we'd lose a lot of ours. I mean, actually, when it comes down, most people live in fear, not in faith. Bible said the prayer of faith. He didn't say the prayer of fear. But dear friends, you can't pray the prayer of faith until you come to the place where you can believe. You've got to have faith to do it. And it's a gift. You don't work up faith. It's a gift. But I tell you where it comes from. It comes right out of the word of God. 
And I do not believe that people can have real faith that are divorced from the Word of God. I don't believe you'll ever be a man of faith until you're a man of one book. What brought Job through? Why said, I've esteemed the word of the Lord more than my necessary food, more precious than my necessary food. He didn't say my unnecessary food. Most of us <laughs> live on unnecessary food. But I mean, Job said, I'd rather have the word of God. I love it more than my necessary food. Ah, oh, hear me. No wonder he came forth. No wonder he came out. No wonder he prayed for his friends and God turned his captivity. He stayed with the word of God. He said, my foot hath held his steps. His word have I kept and not declined. I haven't turned. You know why it didn't decline? You know what decline, don't you? You know what that means? It means go down. He said, thy word have I kept and not declined. Brother, this old world suffered a tremendous declension in the last few years. You know why? It didn't keep the word of God. Nobody ever had a hard time than Job, but he didn't decline. He, he didn't decline. He said, my foot has held his steps. Why? The steps of a good man are ordered to the Lord. He delighted in his way. Boils and all, he kept his steps. Ten deaths at one time, kept his steps. All of his servants gone. He walked in the steps of the Savior. All right? Now then, we're coming up to victory time and looking for God's little biscuit. Who serves fearful and afraid? All right, 22,000 turned around and went back immediately. Well, that left him some left. He had 10,000 left. He'd got 10,000 left. That's a pretty good army. He said, now I want you to come down. Get this now. He said, I want you to come down to the water. And brother, the final separating place is the water. I mean, that's what you got to get separated by just before you go to battle is the water. And you know Jesus is the water of life. And you know the, the word is the water of life. And he brought him down to the water and they said, now, uh, we want you to let them drink and observe them when they drink. I want you to watch them how they take on water. Now he said, uh, those that just lay down like this and put their mouth in the water, he said, uh, tell them to beat it. I mean, that's not much of a soldier. Can you imagine somebody laying down like that, enemy coming up on him, what could he do? My brother could roll him off in the water, kill him, stomp him, bust him over the head, he couldn't fight. I mean, that shows you he's not a prepared soldier. But he said, uh, those that uh, get down and uh, get some water out of this hand while they're looking around, they're ready to go in a minute, see? He said, we'll just start with those. You know how many had left? That's right, 300. 300 little old soldiers. That's all. Now, Gideon could have argued about it, but he didn't. You remember what he prayed for, don't you? He prayed for a miracle. Brother, he's going to see one now. Brother, it's going to, and you talk about a miracle when, let's, let's see what the, the other army looked like. Let's see what they looked like. Now, the Lord said, uh, verse 10, chapter 7, if thou fear to go down, I want you to go with a man named Phurah, thy servant, down to the host. Now, he's done everything he can to convince him, but he said, now, if you're still afraid, Gideon, I want you to go with this man, and y'all go down at night and ease off in the camp and just listen to what they're talking about. And they got down there, and the man said, you know, I had a dream. I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came under the tent and smote it that it fell over. That's God's little biscuit. That's it right there. Just a little cake of barley bread come rolling in. Now, doesn't that sound stupid and silly? I dream a little cake of barley bread just come rolling down the hill and just turned everything bottom side up. I mean, it rolled over them like uh, Letourneau's big uh, dirt moving machine. 
I mean, it just absolutely flattened them out. And uh, the other fellow spoke up and said, oh, nobody on earth but Gideon. That's who that is. That's God's little biscuit. He's coming, show us the world. He's going to come rolling through, boys. And Gideon threw his hat over the windmill and took off back to the army and said, thank God for the privilege of being his little biscuit. Boys, we're fixing to go on a victorious march. Dear friends, I wonder if God's got any little biscuits around here. Look at the series of things that happened. And you know what he did? And this is the kind of biscuit we're going to have to be. Gideon said to his men, take a lamp in your left hand, a trumpet in your right hand, and I want you to line up exactly where I tell you to line up, and I want you to, I want you to do exactly what I tell you. And he said, I want you to do one thing, now, and this will bring the victory. I want you to look on me and do likewise. Now, to me, that's practice in New Testament Christianity. Look on me and do likewise. And you know what happened, don't you? They took their stand, 300 of them. Foolish. Why, it meant suicide. It meant sudden death. Not when God's with Now, remember the promise. Surely I'll be with thee. And brother, there was 301. And the 300 didn't amount to that much, but the one really meant a great deal. There they are. They're standing there ready. There's 31,700 people back in their little old cots or tents saying, well, I hope they come out all right, but I, I don't see the chance. They just haven't got... Oh, uh, listen, we don't work by chance. We work by faith. 300. And in a little while, when those trumpets sounded and those lights came on and God's power came down, those Midianites started bailing out. And on out through they went until all were defeated because God had a little biscuit right out of his oven in heaven that was willing to be used of the Lord. I'm speaking mostly to Christians, I'm pretty sure, tonight here in Atlanta, Georgia. And dear friend, I'm not talking about just church work. I'm talking about being surrendered to the will of God in my life and in your life. I say again what I said a while ago. There is no danger in the will of God, and there is no safety outside the will of God. You're just as obligated to do the will of God as I am, and the will of God will be just as sweet for you. Thank you for joining us today on the Family Altar Program with Lester Roloff. You may listen to the preaching and the special music of the Family Altar Program 24 hours a day when you visit our ministry website, roloff.org. We love hearing from our listeners. If this broadcast has been a blessing to you, please write to us at Roloff Evangelistic Enterprises, P.O. Box 100, Fort Thomas, Arizona, 855 Again, that's Roloff Evangelistic Enterprises, P.O. Box 100, Fort Thomas, Arizona, 85536. This broadcast is made possible by the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. Thank you for partnering with us, and remember that Christ is the answer.